0: remind you that they had the Lord to walk with them, and yet we have the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, God the Spirit who walks in us and lives in us. What a privilege it is that, yes, they got to walk with him in the cool of the day, but boy, we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God in our heart, and he's with us each and every step of the way, and he wants to be just as close to us as we will allow him to be. And the Bible tells us we draw nigh to God, He draws nigh unto us, and I'm thankful this morning for that privilege, good to see you here today on this beautiful day. Uh, look, if, if you're looking for the right weather to come to church, today was it, right? We're always looking for that right weather. A little bit too hot, a little bit too cold, a little bit too wet, a little bit too dry. Boy, today was just a perfect day, and God's been so good to us. Uh, I, I love the weather, and I'm thankful for that and the good health. I talked to several of our people this morning on the phone before church, and they're at home sick, and you pray for those that are away from us today. But can I get you to think about something just for a moment? Uh, there 's no one waiting to storm in our doors this morning and drag us across the border of our country, but there are people this morning who are away from their home, children away from their parents, wives away from their husbands, soldiers away from their families uh, over in the Gaza Strip this morning. Uh, I can imagine how those people are feeling. Uh, I can imagine how that country 's feeling. I know we should pray for them, we have, and we will, and I hope you 'll continue to pray for them, but I don't know what may be on your heart this morning or what burdens you or what bothers you today, but uh, I'm thankful that we get to be here today without fear of worry or repercussion and worry about someone storming through the doors and taking us away from our families. Folks, God's been good to us. God's been good to us. As we look around, it's very easy to look around at what may be wrong or what may not be as right as we want it to be. And yet God's been so good to us and we look on the news. I I was glued to it yesterday all throughout my day. I'd stop and pick up my phone and look at what was going on over there in Israel and those people and some of the short videos of people being dragged from their homes. People that were taken out of their homes and shot in the streets. I promise you there's nothing going on in your world this morning uh, like what's going on in their world this morning. And let's just pause to thank God for his goodness, to be able to live in this wonderful country, and then to pray for those this morning who don't have it as fortunate as we do. And I'm thankful we have an opportunity to be in his house with his word, with his people. And I pray that we'll consider that the great privilege that it is. Uh, I want you to take your Bibles out this morning. I'm going to be preaching on that, but I think it would be uh, impossible for that not to be a burden on all of our hearts this morning. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. When you get there, let's stand together. And uh, this morning, let's not neglect the goodness of God on this country. I know we have our problems. I know that we have issues up in Washington, an election around the corner, and so many other things going on, but God has been so good to us, and God has blessed us, and we need not look very far on the news to realize that. Philippians chapter number one, and I'm going to look down, uh, I tell you, just for the sake of time today, uh, let's look down... um, I tell you, let's look down to verse number 19. I told Brooklyn, where are you at, Brooklyn? Are you in here? I told Brooklyn, she was baking a pumpkin spice everything yesterday, and I told her, I said, Brooklyn, if you bring me a pumpkin spice something, I will preach shorter. Uh, and so I have a short outline today, Brooklyn thinking you were going to bring me something, but it didn't happen, so... We're going to have to ask the Lord to multiply it so I can get you here uh, to the usual 1230, right? Y'all can blame that on Brooklyn. She just didn't come through uh, today. Philippians chapter number one, I want you to look down uh, to verse, verse number, uh, go to verse 19. Uh, reading the apostle Paul, I'll give you context here in just a minute. For the sake of time, let's jump right in. The Bible says, for I know that this shall turn to my salvation. Now, what is this? It's the tribulation, the trial he was going through of being in prison. You look down, verse 12, he says, I want you to understand what I'm going through is because of the furtherance of the gospel. Verse 13, he calls this the bonds that he was experiencing. Verse 14, he says, these are my bonds, what I'm going through. And He said in verse 19, for I know this shall all turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. But watch what it says in verse 20. This will be our text today. We'll preach entirely out of verse 20. According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. In verse 21, a verse we know well, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for the opportunity to be in your house, and Father, I I know it's so easy for us to look at church as something we have to do, and Lord, uh, having to get up and come to church and Sunday school, but Father, help us to see the great privilege that's a privilege many don't have around the world. Father, I thank you this morning that we're safe. Thank you, Father, that our families are here. Thank you Father for protecting us through the night Lord what a horrific scene it would have been Lord if we would have awakened to a morning here as the people in Israel did yesterday Father I lift them up to you I, I know what they mean to you and Lord I pray that you would bless that you keep a hedge about them through the day and father I don't know what you're doing through this but I believe genuinely you're doing something through this and Lord this very well could be the beginning of something that Lord ushers in your return and Lord, how wonderful that would be, and I pray that, Lord, we'd be looking forward to that. Father, I want to pray this morning for those people, uh, Father, that are grieving over there today, loss of loved ones. Father, for the parents, Lord, I can't imagine who don't have their children with them this morning. I pray that you bless them, give them grace today. Bless the families who are missing uh, soldiers, Father, who've been taken captive. I pray that you deliver them, and I pray that, Lord, you'd bless, uh, Lord, us this morning to see just how blessed we are. And that we would take this opportunity to receive your word today and not look at it as just something that we're looking to get over with, but do your will in the invitation for us in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I probably say this every time I preach out of the book of Philippians, but uh, I'm still a young guy, all right? And uh, I haven't as much experience and as much illustration as some of you older guys do. Uh, but every time I read the book of Philippians, I marvel at the tone of it. You realize it's being written by a man who is writing from prison. And when you read it and you begin to get the spirit of it, it doesn't sound like someone who's in prison. And I can't help but think about that every time that uh, I read the book of Philippians. You look at there in chapter one, you look down to verse number two, he says, grace be unto you. Could you say that this morning if you were in prison? Grace be unto you. No, I'd be saying, get me out of here. Verse number three, I thank my God. Yeah, I'm going to say that while I'm in prison. Grace be unto you and I thank my God. Doesn't sound like someone who's incarcerated, does it? Verse four, watch what he's doing. Always in every prayer of mine for you all making making requests with joy. (laughs) Here he is. He says grace to you and, and joy and now I'm praying for you. If I'm in prison, I want somebody praying for me. And I'm praying for me, and yet here's Paul. He goes on, verse 6, to share his confidence that he has. We'll look at that here in just a few minutes. And, and then he begins comforting them. He's in prison. He is going through the life of someone who has taken, had their liberty taken away, and someone who is incarcerated, and someone who is a captive and subject to the desires and the whims of someone else, and yet here he is comforting the church at Philippi, and all the others that would read this epistle. But then he gets down to something that, that I really want to get to. is the meat of the message of what he was preaching to the church at Philippi. The message to the church at Philippi was very different than uh, Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians. Because when you read the book of Philippians, you realize he's not really addressing an issue. Bless their heart, the church at Corinth and Galatians, and Colossae. Those churches he had to address something, Right? Hey, you got this problem, you got this going wrong, you need to fix this, you need to get right, uh, you need to start making these changes in the church and things that need to be worked on, and yet that's not the spirit we get from the letter to the church at Philippi. Uh, You begin reading in chapter one, you can tell it's a letter of encouragement and appreciation uh, and encouraging them to live the Christian life that their newfound faith has afforded them through Christ. I've preached on this the last few weeks about how don't miss all that comes along with salvation. It's like one of those infomercials. Uh, I don't watch them. I really don't. Number one, I don't need to buy it. Uh, Number two, I probably don't even need it. And so I don't watch the infomercials a lot. But what do they always say? But wait, there's more. You know it, right? (laughs) Can I tell you salvation's that way? But wait, there's more. Not only do we get salvation and eternal life to come, there is that Christian life we've preached on the last few weeks that we get to live after we get saved, and he's encouraging them not just to rest in their salvation but to move on and live the Christian life that has come their way because of Christ. And you look down at verse 6, you're going to see really the the book condensed, I believe, in verse number 6. Watch what he says. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun their salvation, a good work in you, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's saying, okay, you're saved. Christ begun a good work in you. All right, now move on to the rest of the work that your life in Christ can entail. And thank God for that. He says, listen, now that you're saved, I want to encourage you to continue on in the life that Christ allows us to live through his power and the example that he set for us. Now, here's what I want you to think about this morning, to really introduce the message, and uh, I really did have a shorter outline today. Even though I didn't get the pumpkin spice, I I did have a shorter outline today, so pay pay attention to the, the introduction, if you will. You know, sometimes when we think about challenges in the Christian life, what do we think about? We go to the usual suspects. Well, challenges in the Christian life, we have alcohol and we have drugs or smoking or (laughs) gossip, we overlook that one. Uh, We have anger, we have doubt, we have fear. I mean, we have all of these areas in our life that we think are the usual suspects uh, of things we need to address in our life that are challenges to the Christian life. But can I tell you this morning, Paul is encouraging them on probably one of the greatest needs in the Christian life, one of the greatest ones. You're like, well, what is it? Is it to stop being addicted to this, or is it stop having a bad habit of that? I believe when you look at the book of Philippians, he's encouraging them to face one of the greatest challenges and difficulties that every Christian is going to have. Every Christian in this room, and every person who will get saved one day that is in this room, you are going to face the challenge that he is addressing in the book of Philippians. You say, well, what is that? It's the challenge of continuing he says, he that hath begun a good work in you, so God began. Now, aren't you glad he used the word begun, which means it's not over? All right, watch. God saves us, and he's not done with us, and he's begun a good work in us, and he wants that work to continue, but sometimes, can I tell you, my biggest problem, look, I don't have a problem with alcohol, I don't, I don't have a problem with drugs, uh, I, I, well, I don't think I have a problem with gossip, but I'm, uh, you know we all have a tendency to it. But man, my biggest problem is continuing. That when God has begun something good in my life, uh, I mean, it's easy to get excited about it for a little while. I'm working on our revival right now, planning our revival and getting all of these things set up uh, for the fall before we head into a new year. And boy, how wonderful are revivals. We get our hearts stirred and boy, God renews something in our heart and our life. But so often we go straight from revival right back to retreat. Because we're human, and that is our nature, our Father knows that, and so he had Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, write this letter to the Philippians about continuing. Now, you may be the most disciplined Christian in the world, and I hope you are, but I am not as disciplined as I ought to be, and sometimes I battle continuing. Keep moving in the will of God for your life. Now, I want you to think about this. Boy, as I was studying this out, boy, the Lord just hit me upside the head with a frying pan of truth. I've never been hit in the head with a real frying pan, I, I'm thankful, okay, but uh, I've heard some of you have, uh, and I've heard some of you have almost half, okay, uh, and maybe we need that sometimes in our life, but I've been hit in the head with a frying pan of truth every once in a while of the Word of God, and let me give you that this morning. At the heart of every specific attack from Satan, can I tell you what his end goal is? His goal is not what you might think it is. All right, I merely point you to the temptation of Jesus. Uh, he says, "If you if you be God, turn these stones into bread." Can I ask you? Do you really think that was Satan's end game? I want to see if you can do it. Make some bread. I hate to tell you, he wasn't interested in Jesus making bread. Do you know what his desire was? His desire was that Christ would defile himself in giving into the temptation, which would thus discontinue Christ becoming our sacrifice and paying for our sins. That's it. what's the heart of every temptation. Whatever you are tempted with, can I tell you what Satan's endgame is? The end game of Satan's temptation and the pull of the flesh in your life and in my life, just the same, it's the desire for us to become a discontinued Christian, meaning that we stop. He doesn't care. He doesn't care if you get addicted to bubble gum. All right, I know some of you are, man. Some of your your jaw muscles are just like, you know? He doesn't care. He doesn't care whatever temptation it takes to get you as long as he gets you to stop continuing. That's all that he cares about. He doesn't care if he uses a person, a problem, a pet peeve. He doesn't care. All that he wants is that you not continue. Look at Peter. He used a storm to get to Peter. You don't care. Hey, if he can use bad weather, he'll use bad weather. Because his end goal is to keep you from doing what he's writing to the church at Philippi in verse 6, that they continue in the will of God for their life. James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. This is what we know well, but think about this. The Bible says, but every man is tempted. Amen. By the way, that doesn't just mean man. That means man, woman, child, boy, girl, grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle, cousin. Okay? Okay? That means all of us. Every man is tempted. When he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Right, now watch, the goal is not just to tempt you. The goal is not just to draw you away. The goal is not just to entice you. But the Bible goes on to say in verse 15 that sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. That's the goal, to kill you. Not, look, he'll kill you physically if he could, but most importantly, he wants to kill you spiritually. That's the goal, that's the desire, all right? So watch, you say, well, I'm being tempted, I'm being enticed, I'm being drawn away. Understand, that's not the end game. Satan plays for keeps. I watched those barbarians yesterday blow through the wall and drag people from their homes and take them to the Gaza Strip or who knows what. But I promise you, that's not their end game. These folks work for the the same one who tempts you and who tempts me. The end game is through the destruction of Israel. That's what the goal is. That's what the aim is. And the same one they're working for is the same one that's after you and I and who desires that we not continue. That's what his goal is. And he don't care what it takes to get you. A personal problem, a pet peeve, a person, it doesn't matter. His goal is that you become a discontinued Christian. We're looking at the book of Philippi, and this, the church at Philippi, and this letter to the Philippians, and Paul gives them a road map of how they can continue. Because remember, no matter how valid this morning of a temptation Satan comes to you with, his goal is that you not continue. That's why he says in verse 6 that they would continue the good work that God began when they got saved. And Paul tells them in verse 20. Of how he's going to do it. And he gives us the roadmap. This morning we're going to call it this. The conditions to continue. In verse number 20 there are three conditions that you need in your life to continue doing what verse 6 says. That the work of God continues in your life. If I could give you a subtitle it would be simply this. What you need to proceed. Okay. What you need to proceed. Let's look at verse 20. The Bible says, Paul says, according to my earnest expectation. And my hope. I want you to notice something. Paul is saying, watch, he starts up in verse number two, Grace. I'm thanking God for you in verse three. I'm praying for you in verse four. Verse 12, I want you to understand what I'm going through is for the furtherance of the gospel. I'm not crying the blues. And he gets all the way down to verse 20, and he's telling you how he's able to continue in spite of that. He says, it's according to my earnest expectation and my hope. Now, watch this. It's important if we are going to continue to understand what the conditions are, all right? It's not brute strength. It is not your immaculate character. You need to understand what thus saith the Lord on how you can continue the good work that God desires to do in your life. It's according to something. Paul says, it's according to my earnest expectation and my hope. He wasn't aimlessly wandering toward an unknown. He wasn't continuing to just hope something happens. No, he says, according to my earnest expectation and my hope. What gave him the confidence to continue? He says, it's my expectation and my hope. Number one this morning, I want you to notice the first condition to continue is the confidence of the believer. What will help you continue in the will of God for your life? Watch this is your earnest expectation and your hope. That is what? That's the confidence of the believer. You see, the confidence that he had in what he was doing and where he was going overshadowed the circumstances that he passed through on the way. There are times as you seek to serve God, watch this, whether it be as a Christian, whether it be as a wife, whether it be as a husband, a teenager, a church member, a Sunday school teacher, however you're serving God, you are going to be tempted not to continue. And the only thing that's going to keep you moving in the will of God for your life is the condition of your confidence in what you believe, not self-confidence, all right? That runs out quick. You ever psyched yourself up for something? Man, you bought new gym clothes. You got a membership to Planet Fitness. You got new running shoes. Man, you are ready. You got your playlist uh, on, your, uh, on your AirPods. You're ready to go. And you don't even make it out the door half the day. You're wasting that membership. $70 a month. I'll be honest with you. I finally told my wife we had a membership to the Y. I said, that's what we ought to call it, the Why? <laughs> why are we paying this? we don't go. She went me up, honey, you want to go to the Y? No, why? That's why they call it the Y. Why are we paying $70 a month? We don't go to that place. And you psych yourself up. And the first thing, you look at the forecast, oh my goodness, it's below 72, it's too cold. It's above 72, it's too hot. And your self-confidence is out the window. Do you know what you need to continue in the will of God for your life? That you continue the good work that he began in you in verse number six? What you need is confidence of the believer. You need an earnest expectation and hope. That's the only thing going to keep you going. You say, well, what does the confidence mean? Well, confidence is just that. You could find the definition of confidence in verse number 20. It's an earnest expectation. I believe this morning that the reason so many of us don't continue on in the will of God for our life, it's because we have a casual interest in what we believe rather than a confident belief. I I told a preacher the other day, he pastors in California, and I said, Sometimes I envy you. Now I'm sure you're wondering, why would you envy a pastor from California? It's amazing. I, I've been there, I've preached there. The people there a lot of times are blank slates when it comes to the gospel. They were not raised in a culture of Christianity. They don't think they're saved just because they grew up and got dunked in a Baptist church. They don't know, man, you got to start in the Garden of Eden. you got to show them why they're lost and walk them through. They don't come at you with what they believe and try to change what you believe. It's just kind of interesting. You see, we have what I'm afraid is a cultural Christianity that basically boils down to a casual interest in what we believe. Look, if you just have a casual interest in what you believe, I promise you, you will not continue. If you just have a casual interest in what, you, what that book says and what the will of God is for your life, you're not going to continue. You're not going to make it. Paul is in prison, and Paul is saying, hey, grace to you. I'm praying for you. Hope you guys are doing well. Don't worry about me. Everything's going to be fine, and that is based according to my earnest expectation and my hope. You see, that was the confidence of the believer. What you believe and how strongly you believe it will be determined by how long you continue on in it. Give an example. Just a few weeks, I'm going to get some of you excited, probably sidetracked. In just a few weeks, it's going to be Black Friday. That's next month. I heard somebody giggle. Somebody's excited about that. Get that $5 toaster. Amen. And we've done it a few times. If my wife wants to go, man, I'm glad to go with her. I'm her bodyguard. I mean, you know, I, somebody has to protect her and, and so we'll go, and we, we'll be going. By Best Buy is the most amazing. For those of you people who do this, more power to you. You'll, we'll pass by Best Buy, and it'll be two, three, four o'clock in the morning, and there's people lined up out there in front of Best Buy. Do you know why they're doing that? They have an earnest expectation. They have an earnest expectation. They believe they are going to get the one, you know that, right? The one 52-inch television. There's only one. They believe they're going to be the one who gets that, and they're willing to sit out there in the middle of the night with a bunch of crazy people in order to get that. Folks, can I tell you, if we had that kind of earnest expectation on what we say we believe from the will and the word of God, we would continue no matter what. We would continue in spite of people. We would continue in spite of pet peeves and problems. We continue. Why? Because no matter what goes on around me, it cannot overshadow my earnest expectation and my hope. That has not and will not change. Therefore, why don't we just continue? Why don't we just stay in the will of God regardless? Hey, you say, well, you don't know. Times are tough. Yeah, he was in prison. Yeah, he was a captive. Yeah, he was at the whim and at the direction of someone dictating every moment of his life. Yet he says, hey, I'm praying for you guys. Hope you're doing well. Everything that's going on is a part of the will of God. As a matter of fact, he goes on to say in verse 14, many of the brethren are waxing confident by my bonds. This morning, what is the condition for us to continue? Well, the first one, we need the confidence of the believer. 2 Timothy 1, verse 12, let me read it for you. Paul says, for the which cause I also suffer these things. You know, a lot of times, a lot of times our confidence goes out the window as soon as we start suffering. We believe it, but I'm not sure I believe it that much. Right? We're going to wait on that television out there, but it better not start raining because I'm going to the house. That's how we are with our faith. Listen to what he says, 2 Timothy 1, 12. For the which cause I also suffer these things, and nevertheless, I am not ashamed. Wait a minute. Didn't we just hear that word in verse 20? According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. Do you know what the word ashamed means? A reluctance due to fear or humiliation. A reluctance due to fear or humiliation. Can I tell you one of the greatest temptations that causes me to doubt continuing the will of God for my life? It's not pornography, it's not drugs, it's not alcohol, but it's just as deadly to the will of God. It's fear and humiliation. God, I'm so embarrassed, I'm so humbled. God, I'm so small. God, this is so scary. God, I don't know what to do. Can I tell you, fear and humiliation will scare you away from continuing the will of God quicker than drugs or alcohol Thinking, boy, God, you got to save those alcoholics, and God, you got to save all those drugs. Can I tell you? You ought to save the fearful and the doubtful, because I'll tell you, there's more people not serving God because they're ashamed of it than people that are hooked on something—fear or humiliation. Oh, what did he say here? According to my earnest expectation, that in nothing I shall be ashamed. 2 Timothy one twelve, he says, "Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have what yeah. believed." <laughs> It's almost like the same person wrote this book. This guy's saying, "Believe he did, by the way. Some of you are like, yeah, we all look into that. He did, okay? Same person, his name is God. He says, it's because of what I believe, the confidence of the believer. And last night I was watching the news, just could not turn the television off. Watching the news, what was going on in Israel, and watching the rockets that were flying in, and some of those news reporters, man, they got some moxie for sure. And I was listening to a member of the Israeli Knesset, I forget what his name was, I don't know that I could pronounce it properly, so I won't even try. And a news reporter from Fox News says, how confident are you that Israel is going to win? The man just stared into the camera. Like, what kind of a question is that? Well, I don't know that we're going to make it, really, to be honest with you. Go back and watch it. He goes, oh, that's a no-brainer. I loved it. Now, I have a map of Israel I want to show you right quick. Did you guys get that loaded? I want to show you up here on our screen. It may be a fuzzy map, but I want you to see it. You see that yellow dot? That's Israel. And you know, all of those countries around Israel, uh, everybody in them may not be bad guys, but most of them hate the little yellow dot. All right? Most of those people in the green hate the little yellow dot that's there. And you got this guy on the news last night. How how well do you think you're going to make it through this? He goes, that's a no-brainer. Man, look, that's Israel. That's God's people. They're not going to perish from the earth. He believes what God said. Oh, if we as God's people had that kind of confidence, that we're surrounded by the green goblins of the world, and yet we say, watch this, I'm going to continue. Why? Because I have an earnest expectation. It hasn't gone anywhere. I mean, if I'm the yellow dot, I'm scared. I'm just being honest with you. I'm scared. Man, you got Egypt and Syria and Turkey and Hamas and Hezbollah, all of those that are there, and they're wanting to blow this little country off the map. What's well, amazing, I told Molly this yesterday. We were talking about it. It's amazing. All through the millennia of, of history, that little yellow dot could not be erased off the map. Why? They have an earnest expectation and hope. That's why they have continued. Number one this morning, the first condition of continuing, understand we've got to have a confidence of, the believer. I looked up the word confident in Scripture. It's mentioned eight times. What's interesting is one quarter of those times it's mentioned in Philippians chapter number one. When you think about quitting, think about this, and I'll give you number two. Quitting is when you have more confidence in what you're battling than what you believe in. That's what quitting is. Quitting is when you have more confidence confidence that what you're battling is going to win than what you say that you believe in. I think about all the times I've wanted to quit in my life and felt like quitting and had a pity party on wanting to quit, and I realized that I was having more faith in what was opposing me than the God who was behind me. Can I tell you, when you realize what your earnest expectation and your hope is, there is nothing he can throw at you, no temptation, no trial, no difficulty that will ever overshadow the hope that we have. Nothing. You can be the little yellow dot. But I have a sticker made. Guys, make a sticker. Everybody's doing stickers nowadays. Make a sticker. I just want to be the yellow dot. The devil's going to try to erase you off the map. Be the yellow dot. Why? Because you have an earnest expectation and a hope. Number two, keep reading verse 20. I'm going to hurry. According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed. I love that. Nothing. But that which all boldness, as always, so now also, Christ shall be magnified. Oh, there's something beautiful here. Notice the second condition of continuing this morning. He says, I'm going to be bold as always, so Christ shall be magnified. Now, here's what's amazing. Not only was he not quitting and he was continuing, but he was going to accomplish something along the way. You know, now look, there are days, I told somebody this, this week, there are days, survival is just okay. If you survive the day, you did good, Right? All right, but that's not the will of God that every day is a survival day. Some days you just need to survive to fight the next day, and that's okay. But that's not the will of God that we just survive until he comes. Watch what Paul says. Paul says, I'm going to continue, and also while I'm continuing, Christ is going to be magnified. Number two this morning, notice, if you will, the conviction of the believer. Notice he says, with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified. The second thing you need this morning to continue is you need some conviction. You need some conviction. Now, I believe we're looking at a progression in verse 20 where he starts off with a confidence, but then he becomes so confident in it, it develops into a conviction. You know, there's a lot of things I am confident in But just because I'm confident in something doesn't mean I'm convicted about that something. There's things this morning you are confident in your football team, confident in your deer rifle, confident in your four-wheel drive, whatever. You're confident in it, right? But I'm not going to say my four-wheel drive is a a, a conviction. I'm not going to say I have a conviction about my hunting rifle. But I'll tell you, if there's something this morning you ought to have a conviction about, it's the confidence we have in our earnest expectation and our hope. You ought to believe it so much, it's not just something you're confident in, it is something you have a conviction about. So how do you know that it's a conviction? Well, look what he says, verse 20. With all boldness, not only is Paul saying, watch this, I'm going to continue in the will of God, but please, devil, don't hurt me. Sometimes we live that way. Listen, please just leave me alone and don't tip me today. I'm just going to try to make it until Jesus comes back. That's not the life our Father called us to live. He says, watch, you live so confidently and believe what you believe so much that it gets so deeply ingrained because of the conviction that you're bold about. I'm afraid today the reason we have so many discontinued Christians is their confidence never became a conviction. They believed it enough to get them to church on Sunday, but it never became something that they were convicted enough about to be bold about. Think about things you argue about. I mean, look, I I like my football team. I'm not going to argue about it. We're up and down like a heart monitor. Yeah. I don't even have confidence in my football team, okay? For those of you who have a good football team, go ahead with that. I'm not going to argue about that. I don't have conviction about that. When it comes to the will and the word of God, you ought to be so confident in it that you're going to continue in it. Why? Because it's so deeply ingrained inside of you. It's a God-held conviction. give you a few examples real quick before we close. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Let me read this to you in light of this verse. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Now, what did he say? Be ye steadfast, unmovable. Stop right there. That sounds stationary, doesn't it? Steadfast, unmovable. On Saturday, some of you men turn that football game on. You get you some Tostitos and some dip, and you sit there, and you are steadfast and unmovable regardless of how many times your wife tells you, hey, I really need some help taking out the garbage, or, you know, I'm changing the oil in the car. Would you mind helping me a little bit? And, you know, you're steadfast and unmovable. Thank God for that, all right? You have confidence in your position, and you're not leaving until after the game is over. But wait a minute. He didn't just say be steadfast and unmovable. He says be steadfast, unmovable, but then he says, watch, always abounding. That is continuing. Now, can I tell you, steadfast and immovable, that's your confidence. But you ought to be so steadfast and immovable and confident in what you believe that after a while, you are abounding in your convictions boldly. You're not ashamed of it. Man, look, you believe heaven's the way, to, uh, that Jesus is the way to heaven, and you believe that Jesus died for you and that Jesus rose from the dead, you believe that, hey, you ought to get that confidence you have in that and get it so deeply ingrained that it becomes a conviction that you boldly share Christ. I don't just believe it enough to get me to heaven. I believe it enough to get you to heaven. That's what a conviction will do. I want to tell you, there's something lacking in church today, and it's just the fact of we don't have good old-fashioned convictions anymore. You look up the word conviction, it simply means a lot of times we call a conviction of feeling. And you know, boy, I was in the imitation time, and boy, I just got convicted and I got goosebumps. Can I tell you conviction goes beyond your goosebumps? I thank God for goosebumps. They got a reason, I'm sure. I think that's how they trapped heat in our body, okay? But God wants to go past your goosebumps and hit your heart. You look up the word conviction, it means a piercing. That means like the word of God in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. The Bible says it pierces deep. God wants us to believe what we believe to the extent that it's so deeply ingrained in our heart, it becomes a conviction. We're not just steadfast and immovable, we're always Abounding. Give you an example. We, we pulled out of the driveway this morning. Leslie came early, and Miley and I were coming a little bit later uh, because mascara takes 45 minutes to put on and uh, not mine. But uh, we pulled out of the driveway, and we turned down the lane, and there's this squirrel on the side of the road. You know, the squirrels are feeling it right now. They're loving this weather. They're just all over the yard, man. And So we're going down the road, and this squirrel runs out into the middle of the road. He stops and turns and faces my car. I'm like, look at you, you're really feeling it this morning, you know, 65 or whatever temperature it was out there, really got him going. And then, Miley saw it, it was great. He stands up on his behind legs, in the dead center of the road, I'm like, ho! what kind of acorns have you been eating? I mean, I'm thinking to myself, go ahead, little fella. He, he ran out there by the road, watch this, he squared up, and then he stood up right there in the middle of the road. And Miley says, Dad, he's not moving. I'm like, well, he'll die a man. (laughs) I mean, he was was playing chicken with my impala. And an impala will beat a squirrel all day long. And then all of a sudden, right as we got up to him, (laughs) he hit the ditch. The acorns wore off and the spinach was gone, and he went and jumped in the ditch. Here's what he did, all right? He squared up, he stood up, and then he checked up, okay? That's the progression of what happened. A lot of times we're just like that squirrel. Man, we're gonna get in the middle of the road, we're gonna do the will of God, and we square up and we stand up, and as soon as something bigger and badder than us comes along, we check up. Why? Because it's not a conviction. It's not a conviction. Folks, when it comes to what we believe, it better not be, be something that we prefer. It better be something we're convicted about. John 6, I don't have time to read it, but in John 6, Jesus began telling them that some of them did not believe. He says, some of you don't believe, and I know it. The Bible says that when he told them that, because he knew the ones that would betray him, and he says, it's some, plural, he knew the ones that would leave. He says, and some of you don't really believe. The Bible says, from that time forth, many left. Many left. Here's what he asked the disciples He says, Are you going to go away as well? Are you going to go away as well? What did Peter say? To whom shall we go? He says, You have the words of life. You have exactly what we need. He says, You know what? We really believe it. Why? Because we're continuing. We're continuing. Can I tell you something, as a child of God this morning, every one of us need to have confidence in what we believe, but we need to have such a confidence that it becomes a conviction that we're bold about. No, it doesn't matter. I will be faithful to the will and the word of God. Why? Because it's something I'm convicted about. Number two, the second condition is the conviction of the believer. Ephesians 3.12, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by faith in him. It's amazing, I'll give you this, and we're going to close with the last point. It's amazing, in verse 20, watch, there's two words I want you to see, and watch the progression of them. The Bible says, in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness. Do you know what the difference in a Christian takes them from being not ashamed? There's a lot of us this morning, I believe we're not ashamed, and that's great, but that's not the end of this thing. At some point, you better grow from being a not ashamed Christian to a bold Christian. How do you do that? It's confident in the earnest expectation of what you say you believe. Number two, the conviction of the believer. And finally, let's finish with this. You look down, verse 20, it says, That nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now, I love this, Christ shall be magnified. There's the goal right there. You're not doing this for you and for people's applause and patting you on the back. You're doing it so Christ is magnified. But people say, why didn't you quit? Why are you keeping going? Why are you continuing? So that Christ would be magnified, and that better be the reason you do it, or you won't do it very long. Watch what Paul says at the end of verse 20, whether it be by life or by death. Verse 20 is a a super progression. We see a confidence, then a conviction, and watch how far Paul is willing to take what he believes by life or by death. Number three this morning, the last condition for continuing is the commitment of the believer. Paul says, I, I not only have confidence in it, I have conviction about it, and I am committed to life or death. I want you to understand whatever you're being tempted with, whatever you're being tried with, and whatever you're going through, the end game of Satan's temptation in your life can I tell you what it is? That you not continued. You become a discontinued Christian. Miley and I, Leslie and I, there's this little kid show we used to watch, and um, new season was supposed to be coming out. It's a kid family show, and we got to turn on the TVs, whatever that stuff is, to watch it. And and I clicked on it, and it said not available. And I'm like, well, why not? You know, I want to see my show, and it's a kid show, but I love it. And so we started Googling, got on the phone, Googled, and it said because of budget cuts at the production and all this, the show has been discontinued. I'm like, grab a torch and a stave and a picket poster and we're marching outside of this place? Why? They discontinued my show. What happened? Did the kid ever make it home? Did this guy and girl ever get married? I don't I, the world It's like the Tootsie Roll Pop, the world may never know. And I got so aggravated that the show was discontinued, not available. I believe this morning that so many of us are discontinued Christians. We're not available. Do you know why? I think it boils down to the last part of verse 20. We've yet to make that kind of commitment that we're going to continue. Paul says, by life or by death. I just want you to know how far he was willing to take this. When Cortez landed in Mexico, had 500 men. I forget how many ships. He had over 500 men. And When Cortez landed in Mexico to explore the nation and see what he, could, uh, what he could find there and the riches that he looked to bring back with him, one of the things he did to make sure his troops stayed committed to the endeavor they were on was they set fire to the ships. And they burned them. You know what Cortez was saying? The endeavor that we are on is one that's going to require commitment. And that we are here to do the mission for which we sailed across the sea to this foreign land to do. And we're so committed there is no turning back because we're burning the ships behind us. Oh, this morning that God's people would have this kind of a commitment. Oh, that we would be unconditional in our confidence, our conviction, and our commitment. They say, you know what? If it kills me, if it kills me, I'm going to stay the course and continue the will of God for my life. Because no matter what, it's more important that Christ would be magnified even if it cost us our life. By the way, it'd be a privilege, it'd be a privilege if it did. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, the Bible says, let your conversation be without covetousness. (laughs) You're thinking, where are you going with this? Stick with me, just a second, we're going to close. The Bible says, and be content with such things as ye have, for he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. What is covetousness? Covetousness is saying, I need this. I need that. I need this. Covetousness, right? need this. Well, I will be happy if I have this, and I will be content if I have this, and I will be okay if I have this. Could I carry this a little further? As Christians, we say, I will continue if this. But wait a minute. He says, let our conversation or our lifestyle be without covetousness. And be content with such things as ye have, for he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. What is he saying? He says, I'm the only thing you need to stay committed. You don't need anything else. You don't need applause. You don't need pats on the back. You don't need anything. All that you need is a father that'll never leave you nor forsake you. And can I tell you when you can quit? You can quit when he does. That's when you quit. That's when we back down. That's when we stop continuing in the will of God for our life. And I hate to tell you this, he's not. You think, well, I'll be glad when God gets tired of this. I hate to tell you this, God doesn't get tired. Paul, how far are you willing to be committed? He says, by my life or by my death. There are times, being a godly husband, you think, I can't do this. Man... Now, stick with me, all right? Husbands, do not smile about what I'm about to say, or you will be in trouble. All right? This woman that you gave me, this woman is driving me batty. I can't continue with this. Lord, you know her. You made her. Watch this. You don't need a perfect wife to continue. Don't be covetous, Well, I need this, this. No, you don't. You've got everything you need. in a father who said, I'll never leave this for safety. Let's flip the script real quick. Ladies are like, do you know this knothead? I mean, the intelligence level is just above a box of rocks. God, I can't continue like this. Let your conversation be without covetousness. He says, you have what you need. The question is, are you willing to make the commitment Young person, young person. Lord, do you know how hard it is to continue being a godly young person in 2023? Pornography's everywhere, I mean, in our pockets. You can see anything you want to see. I mean, pray for these kids. All the, 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 the temptations they have, I mean, oh my goodness. I mean, they're facing all this. God, I don't know if I can continue. I don't know that I can do this. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Why? Because watch. Let your conversation be without covetousness. You don't need anything except for an ever-present father who says you can as long as he's with you and he says he's never going to leave you. Yes, it's going to get hard. Yes, it's not easy. That's why every temptation, the end of it, is to discontinue you. I really am going to close, and I'm going to close my Bible so you'll you'll see it, okay? Somebody called me a liar one time. You said you were going to finish. You didn't finish. They really did. All right, I'm sorry about that. I have a stubborn part of me that's not good, okay? This stuff, right? Oh, wretched man that I am, it's wretched. And so often I'm stubborn against things that I should give into the will of God for my life and the Holy Spirit's leadership for my life. I should give into those things absolutely all the time. But can I tell you, you ought to employ that stubborn part of you to realize that everything he's tempting you with has one goal and that's to discontinue you think about it what are you tempted to do when you're tempted to lust or to drink or to gossip or to get bitter what are you tempted to do quit that's what you're tempted to do can I tell you what you ought to do tap into that stubborn part of you and you look the devil in the eye and you look the adversary in the eye And you say, I know what you're up to. I know what your game is. You're not just trying to get me to lust. You're not just trying to get me to be bitter. You're not just trying to get me to be angry. No, you're trying to get me to quit. Oh, no. Why don't you be stubborn to the devil? Your father wants you to continue. If he's begun a good work, he will perform it. What do you need? Number one, you need a confidence in what you believe. And to get to the place where you believe it so much... It becomes a conviction that you're bold about. And that you're so convicted about that, you're going to make a personal commitment to see it through as long as God is with you and he promised he'll never leave you. Can I just give you some encouragement this morning? Continue. Husband, wife, teenager, Sunday school teacher, mom, dad, continue. Continue. You know what he's up to. Don't let him win. Because God says he's with you every step of the way. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Let's stand together. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Can I ask you this real quickly? Number one, this morning, it wasn't a salvation.